0: It's such a way to open the Dreaming, which is my favorite album that Kate has made. It really just gets you into it. It, With the drums and all that, it's actually my alarm in the morning, which I don't know if my roommate's a big fan of.
1: Now now that she's producing all by herself, uh, without even John Kelly in the previous album, Never Forever, now she's just doing it alone. She took all that hamminess, all that characterism, from
2: my favorite albums and took that pretty much up to 11, especially with this song. It was just such a huge step forward for Kate. The the vocals, the songwriting, the production, the, the variety.
3: That it's a quest for betterment, for an internal enrichment to know more. And then I like that she's kind of saying, you don't get it for nothing. You know, you have to put in the work.
4: Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're going to talk about the lead single for The Dreaming and the very first song on said album called Sat in Your Lap. <laughs> welcome welcome everybody to the first song episode of the fourth oh my god this we're now the fourth season of strange phenomena the music of kate bush oh boy i'm really really excited about this album you could as you can tell i mean come on my enthusiasm's coming right through your iphone ipod phone speakers whatever you happen to be listening to this on because this is my favorite album As I mentioned in the album intro episode, this is my favorite album from Kate Bush. And so you're going to get to hear me be all enthusiastic. And especially you're going to hear a lot of enthusiasm from these fans I'm going to be talking with for these songs. So on today's episode, we have five different fans. Four of them, you're going to get to hear their voices. The fifth one sent me some essays that I'll be reading later in the episode. I got to talk with Wayne Henderson from Southern California. There's Vanessa Ramos from Canada. Then there's Craig Houston from My Time Zone. He's from Ohio. And Tomer Feiner from Israel. And the fifth fan that you're going to get to hear at least his words from, if not his voice, is Daniel Thomas. And Daniel Thomas is from Seattle, Washington. And he's going to be on the Pull Out the Pin episode in a couple of weeks. But first things first, we're going to be talking all about Sat in Your Lap. I'm super excited to be talking about this song. Because oh, my goodness. This was... This was quite an experience when I first heard it, that's for sure. Like listening to this going, oh my goodness, what is this? And as you'll get to hear from a lot of these fans, they had a very similar reaction to it, including one fan where this was actually the very first Kate Bush song that he ever heard. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so we're just going to go right into the episode. And so these are the folks that you guys are going to get to hear from in this episode, starting with...
2: Wayne Henderson here from MediaVoiceOvers.com and the Packers Fam Podcast. Hi, I'm Tom Feiner.
4: Hi, it's me, Vanessa.
2: Craig Houston.
4: And as you'll get to hear when I get to talk with all these fans, all of them love this song. We're first going to start with Wayne Henderson. Now Wayne Henderson had some really cool thoughts about this song and talking about the first time he heard it and a little bit of what it was like to be a Kate fan before the internet. So, when we kind of first got in contact, um, you had mentioned a couple songs you wanted to talk about for the show, and one of them was Sad in Your Lap. So, what is it about Sad in Your Lap that makes it one of your favorite Kate songs? Other than it's just awesome. (laughs) We all know that. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, besides that, um, well, by the time Lionheart had come out, I was already fully into the Kate Bush universe, and then we got Never Forever came out shortly thereafter, but then we had this pretty long break, and we knew that she had something cooking. And, you know, once we got Sat in Your Lap as the lead single for The Dreaming, even though the actual album didn't come out for a whole nother year, it was just such a huge step forward for Kate. The The vocals, the songwriting, the production, the the variety, the whole thing. I, I think it's it's not just hyperbole. I think it's a giant creative step forward for Kate Bush, kind of in the same way that the Beatles took when they went from their rubber soul album to the revolver album, because I I had not heard anything like Sad in Your Life when I first did.
4: <laughs> and really, there isn't anything else out there like it. I mean, then or even now.
2: Yeah, not not even counting the video, just the the song itself. It's it's just so unique. Kate obviously had been really digging deep into her, her fair light and her creativity and holding herself up in the studio that, uh, for this to come out. I mean, in some ways I was like, wow, what is going on here? This is so different. And in some ways, very un Kate Bush like, but then in a lot of other ways, it's very Kate Bush.
4: Well, it's very Kate in, in the, uh, the subject matter and definitely the way she's using her voice.
2: Yeah. But pushing it, like she's never pushed her voice before.
4: Mm-hmm. Then, of course, yeah, when, we definitely. Got, when we
2: got to hear the rest of the Dreaming, we really got to hear all sorts of her vocal stylings being pushed to the limits. It's just amazing. Imagine just being there and being in her inner circle at that time while she was working on this. It just must have been just magical. Yeah. Uh, when When Sad in Your Lap came out, I was fresh out of high school and i gotten my first job and was working uh, closer to Los Angeles. So there was quite a few import record stores around. Yes, records. Yes. And I just happened to notice I didn't, eat, because, you know, no internet. So how was I to know? I just happened to be in there and in their new singles stack, they they had this new Kate Bush single, Sat in Your Lab, because I never heard it on the radio here in the States. I just saw, oh, a new Kate Bush single. Give me that.
4: The second fan I spoke with about Sat In Your Lap is a young Canadian fan named Vanessa Ramos. Vanessa is from just outside Toronto, Canada, and you might remember her from the Babushka episode. So I get to talk with her about another lead off track from a Kate Bush album. And here's what she had to say about Sat In Your Lap. So what is it about Sat In Your Lap that makes it one of your most favorite Kate Bush songs? Okay. I don't know. It's just, it's
0: such a way to open the dreaming, which is my favorite song on, mm-hmm. or not my favorite song on the album, my favorite album that Kate has made. Um, it's just, it really just gets you into it. it with the drums and all that. It's actually my alarm in the morning, which I don't know if my roommate's a big fan of, but <laughs> it gets me up, which is important. I love the lyrics. It's really neat how it's just like, you know, the more you'd get to know, the less you really know that you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to me. And it's just, it's very nicely arranged production on It's great. Wonderful, wonderful song.
4: Now, was this the first, I can't remember when we, from when we talked last time, was this the first Kate Bush song you had ever heard? No, I think that was "Babushka." Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't quite remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this was definitely the one that got you like, whoa, yay, the dreaming.
0: Yeah, this was just like
4: incredible. The third fan I spoke with about this song is Tomer Feiner, who you might remember his voice from in the humming episode that came out last month. Tomer is another young fan and he is from Israel. So I had to do a transatlantic call here going all the way, seven hour time difference. And here's what Tomer had to say about why Saturday and Lap is one of his favorite Kate Bush songs.
1: Hi, I'm Tomer Feiner. I've been sort of introduced to Kate Bush not that l- long ago. In fact, early this year, I'm a new Christopher Kelly, who's been on, the sh- mm-hmm. on this uh, podcast um, earlier. Uh, one time he posted something about it, and now it got really curious. And from there, I just pretty much got hooked and started listening to uh, <laughs> what <it is. laughs>
4: Yeah, So only a couple of months that you've been a Kate fan?
1: bit of a half a year i guess
4: so what is it about uh sat in your lap that makes it one of your favorite songs
1: a lot about kate Bush's music actually especially like the early stuff up to and thing until hounds of love or, or like the "Central world it's it's really energetic it's it's uh the vocals like being uh, uh so uh uh being really hype and uh yeah. And especially here in this album, she's just now that she's producing all by herself uh, without even John Kelly and there, like in the previous album, Never Forever Now, she's just doing it alone. She took all that hamminess, all that character from my previous albums and took that pretty much up to 11, especially with this song.
4: The final fan that I spoke with for this song is Craig Houston. Craig Houston is a longtime fan from Ohio and. Not only did he have some really cool insights into the song, but also he had a bit of a story about how this was actually the first Kate Bush song that he had ever heard. This would have
3: been in Carlisle, Ohio, which is a tiny little town, I think in my senior class in 1987, like 280 people graduated. So it's a village. When I lived there, there wasn't a stoplight. There were the art kids and the choir kids. And I was big in choir. I played piano and jazz band. And I had a cool friend of mine who was a few years older than me. And one day somebody was looking at a Kerrang! magazine, which Kerrang! is a metal magazine. It may even still be in print now. But they just had photos. And I'm sure it was some crazy photo. They would have never discussed Kate Bush's music, but they would have had a picture of, like, here's this beautiful British girl, right? Mm -hmm. So... Somebody said to me, oh, yeah, that's Kate Bush. She's the Stevie Nicks of England. This is 1983, maybe 84. I absolutely love Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac, and that intrigued me, but I'd never heard of Kate Bush before. So not long after that, I probably got my temps or had a friend who was old enough to drive. I was 15, going on 16 probably, and um, went to Gem City Records in downtown Dayton in the Oregon District. And they had a Kate Bush section, first record store I'd been to that had one. And I went in, and they had several Kate Bush records. And the Dreaming looked intriguing to me because she had a key on her tongue and that beautiful, um, you know, tinted photograph Mm -hmm. that was just incredible. Yeah, Yeah, sepia tone, exactly. Believe it or not, without ever having heard anything, I spent hard-earned allowance on an album and took it home.
4: Wow.
3: Yeah. Do you see what I'm getting at? (laughs) Like, this is at a time when you didn't expect to have heard an artist before. It was no different than going to the movies. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, you didn't pay your money, see the movie, and then ask for your money back. Albums were like that. You know, this is an entertainment for an evening or a lifetime. But you paid your money and you took your chances. You had clues from the cover, but that's all it was to it. My 15-year-old self gets home unwraps this album and puts on first thing I ever hear sat in your lap and it scared the shit out of me. (laughs) I promptly took it off the turntable put it back in its sleeve and probably didn't get it off uh, get it back out until maybe three or four months later but it stayed with me there were things that I heard sat in your lap Houdini night of the swallow that were so incredible that even to my not-quite-developed musical mind that told me this was different, this was special. And so three months later, I get it back out, and I'm listening to it, and one day it hits, and you're like, this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. And so by the time Pounds of Love comes out in 85, I'm ready for it. Like, that's the first Kate Bush album that my teenage self was like, oh. And of course, at that point, you didn't know when a new album was coming out. You just went to the record store once a week and you went through the bin or you asked the guy behind the counter and somebody knew something or not. And one day you're surprised. You're like, oh, my God, there's a new Kate Bush record, Mm -hmm. you know. But the cool thing is that you also got to go back and catch up.
4: It's just amazing to me because this song is, I mean, it's so different from everything she did before and just imagining like hearing this on the radio with some of the other songs that were on the charts at the time, at least in the, on the time and the, at the time in the UK, like um, uh, No Woman No Cry by Bob Marley. New Life by Depeche Mode. Free your eyes only. Lay all your love on me. Just imagining, like hearing you know, lay all your love on me, and then going into that in your lap, and then back to one of those. It's like, what?
2: That's a tough segue <laughs> right there.
4: I know that would be. And I think it's really interesting about this song. I mean, yeah, for me, I will say the first time I heard it. So the first time I heard it was on the whole story. That was kind of my first, like, big exposure to Kate. Okay. And um, she until then, she was kind of somebody I knew about and had heard on various 80s online stations. But I just, I couldn't, there was something, I just couldn't stand her voice at first. And then I got the whole story. I went, okay, well, this is, like, greatest hits compilation. And I got to this song, and I remember thinking, I actually, at the end, I started laughing. I was in my cubicle. I was working at my dad's office, and I was working in the cubicle, and I was trying not to laugh because there was just so much going on and some of the sounds, and I'm just like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) This is so chaotic.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's so unique, and the way that Kate went so far from what she was doing on Never Forever to Mm -hmm. this track that is just like drums and sounds and heavy vocals it is just very special. And kind of like I alluded to earlier with the Beatles, with, uh, with the Revolver album, the first track they recorded for Revolver was Tomorrow Never Knows, which turned out to actually be the most progressive song on the whole album. And so for Kate, kind of the same way, starting out with the Dreaming, Uh, With Sat in Your Lap, I still think it's one of the most progressive tracks on that very progressive album.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, her, the way she's using the drums in this, you can tell that she was hanging out with Peter Gabriel.
2: Yeah, it it pays to hang out with cool people that have other unique ideas. And then you take them home and mold them into your own and just blast off.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. This is like, uh, and and reading especially about the production of this song, what I think is really cool, especially like with those drums, because those drums are such an integral part of the song. They were actually recorded at the same studio in London, uh, Townhouse Studio Two, where those big cavernous drums at the end of "In the Air Tonight." I'm air drumming right now. Okay, (laughs) thinking about it, like you do. Um, it was. It was, yeah, it was recorded. Actually, those drums were recorded in the same studio where those thunderous drums in In the Air Tonight was recorded.
2: I can see that. And not too many years apart either.
4: So you got those big drums. It was actually, it was recorded in. Um, a particular room in Townhouse Studio it was called the stone room and it was called that because it like literally the walls were made of stone and so mm-hmm. when you recorded things in that space you got a particular sound like the way that things would reverberate off the walls like the music production person in me is going oh i would love to record there and and then of course you get you get some bass which i don't really notice too much cuz i'm just hearing the drums you get the piano and her doing Fairlight from from Kate. Um, she so gets some backing vocals, you get some you get some like trumpets in there. And what I think is also really cool, there's actually some sticks in there. It's um and I figured it out like I'm kinda like sticks, what? There's that whooshing that whoo whoo. It's actually bamboo sticks. Oh that really? Her okay. brother and Preston Heyman actually like swung through the air, so you get that whoo whoo sort of sound.
2: Yeah, there's so many unique noises going on in that oh, song, seriously. and some of them even I've been you know pre- preparing for this episode to chat with you, Cecily. I've been playing, mm-hmm. uh, sat in your lap a lot this past few days, especially since I got my remastered uh, CDs mm-hmm. in the mail. They came just in time, and Yay! <laughs> I've been just going Kate Bush crazy all week long and uh, going back to sat in your lap again. And yeah, there's still some of the the sounds that she's created in the song that I'm not positive what they are. But so whooshing, whooshing sounds. That's the best way to yeah. describe them.
4: <laughs> just, whoo, whoo. and it's true it's, it's like if you take something like or maybe even something like a piece of string and you swing it through the air like you'll right. get this kind of whoa, whoa, sort of sound to it and I'm just imagining them in the studios just like throwing stuff just like oh because we can record this stuff now and, and sample it and do all sorts of stuff that is kind of precursor to stuff we do all the time now and just whoo just trying all this stuff
2: it must have been an exciting time
4: when, mm-hmm. when all of that
2: type of technology was new and it was fresh and hardly anybody had heard it. So almost anything you did would be new. And then the fact that you're able to take this great idea for a song and not just have it be noise, but have it be part of a song structure is is just amazing. And this is definitely mm-hmm. a turning point, one of many turning points in the Kate Bush music history there
1: it was um, really uh, just the beginning of, of the 80s and where the uh, gated River which was really really popularized from being used on the track intruder on Peter Gabriel's third album which mm-hmm. Kate provides some bank on. so she might have gotten the influence from over there or, for, or from some other songs that were around when she started recording this. I know she also she also had the same recording engineer for to that as they had for Intruder and probably the whole rest of the third album of the Melt album, wasn't it He had him. She took that sound and just she did something completely different with it. And and also I'm i pro, probably talked way too much about that part because, that's not even heard heard that much on, on the song. There's uh panning that mm-hmm. because most of the song most of it becomes is actually those whip sounds.
4: Yeah, I did not realize. I kind of wondered what that kind of, whoo, whoo. but then it no. makes sense because if you take a piece of like you're just like a ribbon or something long and dangly, and you whip it around the air, it makes a noise.
1: <laughs> no, I don't really. I think I I remember knowing about. I don't really remember what it was. I remember it was something. Uh,
4: it's a bamboo uh, canes. Yeah. Yeah, apparently it was bamboo uh, yeah. canes yeah. that so, her brother so the, and the yeah. drummer. The just...
1: drummer, the main the main percussion, the the what I mentioned in the beginning, that that was mm-hmm. Preston Heyman who was with her in the performing the early in the tour of life, uh, mm-hmm. He did that in the bamboo canes, yeah. It was it was bamboo canes I remember now. So the yeah. the bamboo, bamboo canes were Preston Heyman and, and also Paddy Bush together, her brother. Mm-hmm. Uh
4: her brother always gets in on her stuff
1: yeah yeah i know the way
3: the drums are tuned that piano comes in like at almost an interval like at a third above the drums It's the first time i i noticed in music that a drum could be in tune with what was going on in the chord structure
4: huh interesting i never thought of that
3: before when you hear it, come in, listen for it, and it sounds like, it's not exact, but you know, like a harmonic? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I like, do
4: music, too, so. Yeah.
3: Oh, I can tell you're in a studio, so. Um, or is that your just space? You're like, no, there's, like, um, dishes behind me.
4: Actually, so. the well, with one, because sometimes I do uh, Twitch shows, and so this is kind of my background for when I play, cool. and then right, right yeah. here, actually, you can't see it, but I have a piano keyboard.
3: Nice. Nice. So but it was that kind of idea that all of a sudden that piano comes in and it's it's like a harmonic that's up from it and it falls into place with it. And when you listen to it, you don't get any sense that she had went to see Stevie wonder the night before. No, not at <laughs> <It> all. Was... No. <laughs> but today I listened to that demo and that demo has a slidiness to it. And, um, People could see me talking with my hands, they would notice that I'm making the slide motion. Mm-hmm. And there is something about R and B where it comes up to a point and then it dips so that real hard edges really aren't apparent. Like um Stevie Wonders uh the von the claver, whatever it's called. Uh, very superstitious, yeah. Right in on the wall. Yeah. That uh synth line that he's doing sin it is so hard and so funky but there's all these like warm chocolate milk tones coming around it that it it cuts through but there's a buffer and that's indicative with r&b or with jazz sometimes early jazz you know cocktail jazz but kate has stripped all of that away and it's it's very um there's no groove in that it is womp, 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 womp. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all attack. It's all staccato. And you didn't hear that very much. So I think that was kind of this brilliant ride that you're going on because it's it's almost klezmer music in a way, you know, like Jewish folk music, or even you get some of the German umba behind it if you thought about it.
4: oh my goodness, Kate has actually talked a lot about this song. It's a good song. She should talk about it. I know, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike the other songs, like, yeah, she ain't never really talked about warm and soothing, you know. But in this one, yeah, she, boy, she she talked a lot Mm -hmm. about how it came together and the inspiration. I love Mm -hmm. looking through these older interviews where she actually talked about that stuff. This is from the Kate Bush Club article, issue 12. October 1982 she says I already had the piano patterns but they didn't turn into a song until the night after I'd been to see a Stevie Wonder gig inspired by the feeling of his music I set a rhythm on the Roland and worked into the piano riff and worked in the piano riff to the hi-hat and snare I now had a verse and a tune to go over it but only a few lyrics like I see the people working I want to be a lawyer and I want to be a scholar so the rest of the lyrics became na 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 or words that happened to come into my head I had some chords for the chorus with the idea of a vocal being ad-libbed later. The rhythm box and piano Mm. were put down, then we recorded the backing vocals. Some say that knowledge is. Next, we put down the lead vocal in the verses and spent a few minutes getting some lines worked out before recording the chorus voice. I saw this voice being sung from high on a hill on a windy day. The fool on Mm. the hill, the king of the castle. I must admit, just when I think I'm king. The idea of the demos was to try and put everything down as quickly as possible. Next came the brass. The CS80 was, is still my favorite synthesizer next to the Fairlight, and as it was all that was available at the time, I started to find a brass sound. In minutes, <laughs> I found a brass section starting to happen, and I worked out an arrangement. We put the brass down, and we were ready to mix the demo. I was never to get that cs80 brass to sound the same again it's always the way at the townhouse we had the same approach was taken to record the master of the track we put down a track of the rhythm box to be replaced by drums recording the piano at the same time as i was producing i would ask the engineer to put the piano sound on tape so i could refer to that for required changes this was the quickest of all the tracks to be completed and hmm. was also one of the few songs to remain contained on one twenty-four track tape instead of two Wow. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. That's a lot to dissect. Um, mm mm-hmm.
0: The Stevie Wonder concert, which we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. which I would have never guessed because... Me neither. I never... I wouldn't have taken Kate Bush to be a Stevie Wonder fan,
4: but... I guess that the maybe the reason it kind of came out so... It was kind of so quickly after it was done was mm-hmm. because it, it was all... Con- it was all... Done up and probably yeah. it sounds like a couple of days.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was the shortest one to be done of all the other songs in the album.
4: Because mm-hmm. mm. I know Night of the Swallow took a while to oh, yeah. to kind of produce
0: a masterpiece. Another one.
4: Oh, another one. That was one of my absolute <sighs> yeah. favorites on this album. Holy oh, crap!
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, this that might. That might just take the cake as my all-time favorite Kate oh, song ever. It's great, along
4: but... with along with Zoe, as I'm sure <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> yeah, we do have
0: a similar taste in Kate songs, and we have come to the conclusion that that is our favorite.
4: know I love, I, I now I think it's definitely it's not a top ten for me, but mm-hmm. it is definitely one of her most iconic songs because it is so different from what came before. You're just oh, yeah. like, what the
0: hell? I honestly, I wonder how people reacted like in 1982 when it was released after hearing like all her previous albums. And then like, even, even from like, um, uh, (laughs) the kick inside to Lion, like to Lionheart, not that big of a jump, but to like Never Forever. It was starting to sort of pick up on the sort of avant-garde that she was trying to That she definitely kind of, you know, (laughs) made music. Mm -hmm. I can't speak today. That's really unfortunate. (laughs) But she sort of made more avant-garde music with the dreaming than um, Never Forever. Which was, I feel like it was sort of a step to get us to the dreaming.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I did find a review from the time. This was from Mm -hmm. Smash Hits. There's a guy online at likepunkneverhappened.blogspot.com and every 2 weeks on the 30th anniversary of this of a Smash Hits up issue, uh-huh. he uploads all of the pages of the the issue of Smash Hits oh. that came out that week 30 years before. And I've been mm-hmm. having a lot of fun going through the archives on this. Like, this this guy's been doing this since yeah. 2011. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's got stuff in there from, like, the early days of Kate. And this oh. one is from uh, the July 9th through 22nd, 1981 issue. They said, in which Kate opts for a welcome change of style with this full frontal assault of drums, neat piano riff, and suitably over-the-top vocal performance on the benefits of education. <laughs> stay in school kids that stay in school kids was mine uh superb okay. blast of energy and a great record which will be deservedly heading up the charts as you read this if it isn't me and kate bush are going to be very annoyed
0: <laughs> <laughs> me and kate bush will be very annoyed is my new favorite catchphrase <laughs> i typed that too
4: <laughs> so it was a favorable review yeah that's
0: a good review generally and I feel like they got a lot of things right about the definitely the full-on assault of drums and the mm-hmm. over-the-top to the top vocals, which is an aspect that Kate brings that I love. I love over-the-top anything.
4: <laughs> well, because she's passionate about it, mm-hmm. and I mean, certainly in here. And you don't just – it's not, oh, yeah, I'm it's, – it's not like if you watch some of these – I mean, I love watching The Voice. I really do. But yeah. they'll be like, oh, yeah, you need to kind of tone it down or it's too theatrical. And it's like – no, she just yeah. goes there. She's like, hey, guys, I'm going off this way. Y'all coming with me? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like it's especially fitting
0: that her voice is theatrical since many of these, like the songs that she sings, like, are sort of theatrical stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I want to say a good like half of her songs. I feel like that's like, that's just a rough estimate. I know I'm way off, but that's just sort of like the stories that she tells, like Army Dreamers, All the Love Mm. is another great one. And then there's a bunch more that are just slipping from my mind right now. It's because a bunch of Kate albums are non-Canadian Spotify, which is really sad.
5: To, uh, to go into that kind of direction, particularly when you've been out of the limelight for a year or two, but.
6: Yes. How, so. how sensible
5: do you think it is? I mean, to make. I mean, it's easily the least commercial to say you've ever done this album. Yes. At a time when perhaps you should have been doing the most. Yes.
6: You see, from my point of view, although I've been out of the limelight from the last album, all I was planning to do was make another album as quickly as I could. But since I wrote songs, I realised that um, it was very different, and it, I know mean, the time. I do very much want to change my art. and I do actually think that the direction I'm going in is away from the commercial um, or the obvious commercial. Sure. Um, but I think, uh, from my point of view, it, was, it wasn't was so much because I was out of the limelight that I had to do something more commercial, because at that time, I wasn't actually out of the limelight, I was just starting my next album, and I thought it was only going to take me a couple of months. But before I know it, the whole thing has become much more involved, the songs are much more involved, and I know that it's going to take me at least six months to a year to get it the way I want. So by the time it's finished, I've been out of the public side for maybe, apart from sat in your lap of course, which, which in, good fact, stop, got, yeah. Yeah, in fact it got to number 11. Yes. A lot of people forget about that, you see. They just forget that that ever happened. So I've been completely out of the public side for two years.
5: Well, it's funny, actually, you should say something like that, because, I mean, when that came out and all those drums, I thought, aha, uh-huh. this general little She's trying to cash in on the old Adamant tribal drum song.
6: Yeah. see, again, that was very annoying, because when I'd actually um, uh, started getting that together, I mean, Adamant wasn't really happening. Really?
1: So.
4: What I found really cool is that this was this was a successful lead single.
1: Yes, I know. It's crazy. From hearing it, when I found, when I found this was more... Well, this charted higher than Hammer Horror, I was just even more surprised.
4: Mm-hmm. I just had. It's just... I'm trying to imagine, like, being out doing my shopping or something, going at the grocery store... And here and if so, there somebody's playing the radio at that time and hearing this next to I don't know Memory by Elaine Page. New Life yes. by Depeche Mode. For Your Eyes Only by Sheena Easton. And then suddenly we get Kate in here. Like I'm just Yeah. Imagine just me trying to and wrap of all my K- head around with Anna
1: volcade Bush songs this one specifically and just any, anyone from a dream any song from the, any single from the dreaming, but especially this one.
4: Yeah. But at this, I mean, this was the most successful single from *The Dreaming* because really it didn't. I mean, it's the album didn't really sell that well, and yeah, the singles weren't like top ten hit Yeah, really top ten hits. Pretty, yeah,
1: pretty much. Yeah, the the reaction of the the music press to it most of the time was mostly just pretty much could pretty much be summarized as what? As far as I read, what what I think could be sums it up sort of pretty well in a uh yeah
4: number 26 on uh july 5th 1981 and then the beat side was a cover of lord of the reedy river
3: the donovan song
4: mm-hmm.
3: yeah and that's the first time she'd really done a cover i think yeah
4: well yeah it was her first released cover song cool and i really like what that one what she did with it like that one's it's very sparse compared to, say, this one. This one is so bombastic and has so many layers. And Lord right. of the Reedy River is like bum, 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 right? Ma, 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 ma. Like it's we very sparse. Right. We love this one.
3: <laughs> it seems odd as a choice because what you're saying, you know, sat in your lap is so bombastic. It's so crazy out there that you would put a. A hippie, for all intents and purposes, Donovan, very '60s hippie singer-songwriter, yeah. uh, b-side on the cover because it doesn't give you any idea what's coming for the next record. Yeah, because when um, when I was a kid, you would go, and even sometimes like a place like McCrory's, which was kind of like what a um, Walgreens is now. It was it had kind of had everything, and sometimes they would even have a lunch counter. Um,
4: Oh, lunch counter. Oh.
3: Yeah, you know, you get a fountain soda,
4: but they also had
3: like sheet music, and there was a pharmacy, and um, around that time, they would always have seven inches, and you would go and buy the single, and it always told you a lot about how the artist was feeling about the album that was coming up by what was on the B-side. Because if it's a new artist and they're not sure how it's going to to do, you're going to put a really almost as catchy as side A on side B because you want people to come along and buy that album. Mm
5: -hmm.
3: They're like, oh, if that's on the album too, oh, maybe this is somebody I can get into. If you have an established artist who has a following that's going to buy their stuff, you save your non-LPB side for the second single. Because the first single comes out and you want to give people a taste of the album, but people are going to buy it because they can't get the album yet. Right? You've got fans who are going to buy that single no matter what. Then the album comes out, you buy the album, and then the second single comes out. Well, all your fans have the album. So they need impetus to buy the second single too. So that's why you have a strong B-side that you can't get anywhere else. So that album doesn't die that you get, you know, a single on the chart and the fans want to have it. If you have an, an artist like Kate, who people are, her fans are going to buy it, Period. And maybe she didn't know how long it was going to take to get the album out. That's why I think maybe you got a cover for this single Hmm. release. Because she's not sure how much the album's going to take. Obviously, although the track is good, Lord of the Reedy River doesn't have so much going on that um, it didn't take her five months to complete.
4: No, it didn't. As I was putting together this episode, Daniel Thomas, who you might remember from the Coffee Homeground episode back in season two, sent me some thoughts comparing the theme and lyrics of Sat in Your Lap with another album opener, Beauty Queen Horses, from Tori Amos's album Boys for Pele. Usually... I don't like to compare the two of them because I feel like they are in many, many ways so, so different from each other. But he did have some really cool thoughts about Sat in Your Lap and how it could be a parallel to Beauty Queen Horses from Boys for Pele, which also, like The Dreaming, was considered non-commercial by the record company and was the first album that these ladies self-produced. Here's what Daniel Thomas says. Kate opens with an angry declaration of frustration. She talks about being inept, perpetually returning to the role of beginner. She treats the proposition of growth as a severe irritant, quantifying its years as minutes. She labels herself a dunce and finds no value in starting again from a different perspective. She sees things as zero or infinite, there's nothing between. She suggests deep loneliness through talking about what the people do so easily, but when she tries to join in, she's a failure. All of her imagined deficit remains within, and she hates herself for it. This song gives me the perspective that a time before, she swore how perfect her project would be if only it weren't for the constraints others put on her. She made them responsible for more than they had control over. She's now rid of those constraints, and she's found she's not the maestro she thought. The underlying current through the song, as well as the album, is that her unspoken self-doubt was correct, and that all the enemies will now see it. Tori opens with Horses, Beauty Queen. She couldn't be in a more sorrowful place. She has no arrogance to feign mastery of anything, only traveling horses to accompany her to find herself, to remember a time when she was certain of her own power. She promises a lost, very powerful version of herself that they will reunite. She states her doubts. She knows how difficult it will be. She's tenacious but doubtful of success. Tori searches for the lost power within, whereas Kate looks outside for the place that contains her power. Kate avoids exposure of not being perfect, whereas Tori hurts from pretending that everything had been perfect. They are two women lost to their own circumstances, but for very different reasons. However, they both hold much responsibility for arriving at those places. Only they can achieve the goals they desire. They both show that independence depends on so many factors, and paradoxically cannot happen alone. Kate defines the world as everyone else against her, where Tori feels completely alone in her world. Each song opens their albums in stark contrast. The drums throughout Side in Your lap, sound primitive, rooted in the earth. They bring visions of a fireside ritual, a tribe dancing to expel demons. She sings deeply and frenetically, her tone urgent and challenging. In the lyrics, I always found it curious that she says, just when I think I'm king. I've always wondered why she never wanted to be queen. Was she trying to acquire the attributes of the males around her to rule with an iron hand? Kate stated that seeing Stevie Wonder in concert while working on this album inspired her to write this song. Did she complete talent and experience? Her comment draws darker the illustration that we assign more power to male essence than female essence. Kate and Tori stand at opposing sides, expressing the same loneliness and sadness. They both yearn for independence. Tori to have her own fire, Kate to release herself from expectation. This dual challenge, as Tori is called beginnings, is when the demons came. What do you uh, think about the lyrics? So, I mean, the production's a huge part of the song. but what do you think what do you think of the lyrics?
2: I thought she did a great job of finding a variety of different ways of apparently trying to tell the same story about, you know, we're all searching for knowledge, what's good, what's evil. But I get the impression that uh, and based on I, I remember way back in the day an interview with uh, somebody on MTV and she talked about how, People searching for knowledge, but now and then you come across people that just aren't willing to put in the work and time that it takes, Mm -hmm. not just for knowledge, but I guess for most anything in life. So the way she was able to come up with phrases that went to that and make them catchy amidst all the other chaos, I I thought was fabulous.
0: I really do see the sort of in the lyrics that it's more of a song that's like, oh, like the more I know, the less less that I really know of when you think Mm -hmm. about it, because it's like. It's just a song about learning. The lines mm-hmm. where it's like, I must admit, just when I think I'm king, it's like, it's kind of like the point where you've just, you think you're so smart, and then you realize that there's so much that you just don't know. That point right there where it's just, well, what's the point in really learning?
4: <laughs> mm. You're like, oh, wait, I'm back at the start again. Ah, crud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also love the, the way she uses her voice on that line. Yeah. Um, cause she, she sounds like a Broadway star or something. She's just she really does. like, I must admit, just like really gives it her all. Oh Holy yeah. God. She really does.
0: That's another thing I love about the song is just the voicing of it all and the, mm-hmm. a masterpiece.
3: i
4: can
3: see yay and what i love about the book is that how it's written out not like lyrics it's the only one in here that is actually in these chunky blocks and to see it like these run-on sentences because when i'm unhappy there's nothing that can move me that inertia of like i'm just having a crap day and i don't even want to go outside to get off the couch but then there's that needling that comes in from the you know some say the knowledge is something that you never have. Some say it's sat in your lap. I don't agree with with um, was it what's his name? The uh, Graham
4: Graham Thompson.
3: Graham Thompson, yeah. About the sat in your lap being uh, sexual overtones. That but, something being sat in your lap is an old saying. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think it had anything to do with that. Although it's that but, something being sat in your lap is an old saying you know i don't think had anything to do with that although it's if it makes you feel better to then, then you know cool go for it
4: <laughs> so, <laughs> well to me um, it's a very it's a very british expression because right. it's you say that knowledge is something sat in your lap instead of sitting in your lap right
3: yeah yeah like a verb sat mm-hmm. a, Yeah. yeah they're using
4: the past participle
3: i want the answers quickly but I don't have no energy.
4: I don't have the energy. Yes, I relate. Oh my God.
3: But think about it. Saying that line now means that you were too tired to press a few buttons on your phone. So when somebody was too tired to do their homework, there was a lot more that they had to do to be able, if it wasn't in the textbook in front of them. I thought that was kind of funny just looking at the then and the now. This run on, I want the answers quickly, but I don't have no energy. I hold a cup of wisdom, but there's nothing within. My cup, she never overfloweth, tis I that moan and groaneth. Uh, not necessarily Shakespearean, but very English, you know, that she would bend a word or add on to it just to make um an unexpected turn of phrase. I, want the
6: quickly, I don't have the
3: Well, anyway. and another thing, I love the buildup at the end um, when it comes from the My Dome of Ivory, a couple of Moan and groaneth, But then that change, and you've still got that rhythmic pattern going on, the gray and white matter coming up the ladder.
4: <laughs>
3: right. So I'm wondering what purpose the ladder serves for her, because it comes back in Constellation of the Heart.
4: Maybe just the idea of, like, going up, you're achieving something.
3: Right. Well, and then she said, you know, like, you climb one wall and find out there's a bigger wall encircling the wall you just got over. And then it goes to, like, all these places that you would um, journey to, a jet to Mecca, Tibet, or jet. And then to Salisbury In 88, when I took my very first trip to Europe, we made it a point to go to Salisbury. Didn't know why I was going, necessarily. And then you find out that in Salisbury There's a monastery that has been there since, like, 1250, and the first clock that is still telling time now was built, like, in 13-something, 1352
4: or something. Oh, my goodness. That kind of stuff just blows my mind. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
3: that's, you know, what, 750 years old, something like that. I love that idea of pilgrimage. I love the idea of the longest journey. Mm Mm-hmm. And then across the desert, across the weather, across the elements, across the water. And for me, that across the water was my pilgrimage to get to England, all things that were other Mm. to all these things that weren't small town Ohio.
7: Here, Kate? Great. Actually, when you perform a song, there's not this sort of standing up in front of the mic and just belting it out. It really is quite a work of art. When you're writing songs, Kate, do you think always in the back of your mind, how is this going to look on a video? Um, not always at the writing stage, and there is a lot of visual ideas, because when you're writing a song, you've got to think of the character who's singing the song, who often isn't yourself. And that character will be in a particular situation, either an unhappy one or in a certain room with a certain person. And I think all these things you actually mentally push yourself into to write the song so that you'll be closest to that atmosphere. And, and when you make a video, often you can't afford to visually do what you have in your mind. And so often we'll slightly change it, make it a bit more abstract rather than go for the, uh, the full thing. I think David had a question How videos. do you make your videos? Okay. Well, um, it's quite a long process. It depends on the song and the song really dictates what you have to do with it. Some songs are very simple and other songs almost become little epics where uh, you've got to section lots of things together. And uh, if you're using other people in the video, then you have to get choreography for them and make sure that they look right and they do the right things. uh, It really is a lot of fun, actually. For me, it's almost like making a film and uh, I think of it as something very special.
4: The video was filmed over two days, one part at a video studio, the other at the audio studios. Uh, the oh. former provided the quick, easy, technical sides to be performed. The latter provided the space and presence. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the large parquet floor was to be a feature, and Abbey Road's past, full of dancing and singing spirits, mm-hmm. was to be conjured up in the present day by tapping feet to the sound of jungle drums, only to be okay. turned into past again through the wonder of videotape. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, The shots were sorted in a logical order. All long shots were audio studio. All others were video studio. A storyboard was drawn up and was very closely worked to being hung on the wall on days of shootings. The editing was a long, difficult job as it was compromised of many sections which had to be edited together, just like the big musical one. The editor worked all day and into the next morning with great skill and patience. And only when someone told us did we find out it had been his birthday and he'd worked it all away. Aww. Well, he made a
0: masterpiece. Uh, That he did. Yeah. So that's his gift to himself, I guess. Uh,
4: Apparently, the jerk jacket, which was used in Army Dreamers, was used again for a short sequence. And she says, and although there is a silver wire, it feels like flying out of the harness and into the light of a timeless tunnel. As a little magician's box springs to life and the room is filled with lasers and skaters. Oh yeah, the roller skates. Who could forget that?
0: Kate herself kind of seems like she's not that great at roller skating, which is kind of why she's like not roller skating in some of the roller skating scenes, and just straight out just like aren't linked in arms with two other people who probably can roller skate pretty well. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I like the especially on the just when I think I'm king it looks like there's kind of like a whirlpool mm-hmm. or something behind her as she's just looking deadpan at the camera lip syncing with a just when I think I'm king I've always liked that part because it really does look like yeah. she's caught in a whirlpool she's like the whirlpool of her mind knowledge. or something like that. Or yeah. knowledge yeah
0: overall it's just like I. it's a bizarre music video like the costumes um <laughs> Oh man. (laughs) Not even (laughs) her costume aside, I don't even know where to start.
3: Night Flights, the used to be a cable TV show that would show videos, and that's, you know, I got a VHS tape and put it in, and and there was that horrible interview with Lisa Robinson. Mm -hmm. And, but they played the videos, and that's the first time I got to see most, you know, suspended in gaffa and sat in your lap. It's unbelievable because here you have people on roller skates in dunce caps and minotaurs and you know a full and uh, a fool in full motley that's a hard sentence to say um and you're like okay books are flying and at that at time is is um, charming or as not charming as it looks now just in the um, you know there's no CGI going on at the time this was groundbreaking and the person you could probably most compare it to um, and actually put you in the frame, the, the time, it would be David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes. Mm-hmm. Because when you see um, Bowie and, and the Blitz kids behind him, there's a, they're walking in front of the um, bulldozer. There's a gal who basically has on the same outfit that Kate's wearing in sat in her lap. So I don't know if she got it from there or if like just the tutu look was in at the moment. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Or just being a disciple of dance if it just made sense. So, um, but we obviously had a much bigger budget. But um, the, the going from the simple dance videos into this people just flying by on rails.
4: It was just incredible.
2: And then, of course, that that bonkers video. Wow.
4: <laughs> oh, my God. The video. <laughs> so what do you think of the video for this song? Because I got some thoughts.
2: <laughs> it's actually easier to watch now than it was then. And I don't know why. Maybe because MTV, there were so many videos coming out. And it was always interesting to see who could try something new. And this video... You know, even for videos back in the day uh, This one had so many unique things And it's very much a representation of the song As far as there's so many different things going on There's Kate there uh dancing, sitting down with the dunce cap on Doing weird marionette moves And then she's tooling around on roller skates With the dancers wearing animal heads And
4: mm-hmm. it's
2: everywhere <laughs> it, it was a moment, that's what it was <laughs>
4: Yeah, it's definitely, like you said, it, I, I agree. It's, it's as, the video is as chaotic as the song.
2: <laughs> I think it would have to be. Can you imagine if it was just Kate wearing a red dress out in the forest dancing to this song?
4: No, nope, <laughs> couldn't do it. No, nope, can't do it. <laughs> it was a different time.
3: I think it was awesome. great talking to you. Yes, if you very need, much. If you need any other uh, input,
2: let me know.
4: Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great to talk to you.
2: Thank you very much for having me on, Cecily. It's always a pleasure to find somebody to talk, Kate Bush, with, and and I love listening to uh, Strange Phenomena every week when it comes out. It is every week, right? <laughs> yep,
4: sorry. pretty much every week, <laughs> unless there's a unless there's a season break, and then it's like. You have to wait like three or four weeks because editing and reasons. <laughs> and I also and have a life. So now where can people find your podcasts if they agree with you about, hey, sat in your lap is pretty awesome too. And oh, he does a podcast.
2: Well, hey, hey, in two total different worlds of podcasting, if you happen to be a fan of the 13-time NFL champion Green Bay Packers, I produce the Packers Fan Podcast at PackersFanPodcast.com. But more related to the british side of things doctor who i have a doctor who podcast called don't blink uh that you can find at don't <laughs>
4: thank you so much for uh for taking the time to talk with me yay it was great so to nice. talk to you Thanks.
1: it was great too
4: for me and now to close out this episode here is a piano only version that i found of signing your lap Uh, Craig Houston mentioned the piano in this song and I think it's especially important to highlight just how frenetic also the piano is in this song so I'm going to close out with a instrumental cover of Sat in Your Lap with just the piano bush song or even a couple of songs that you would like to talk about on a future episode or if you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to in our discussion you can find me on the web at kbcast.linkmedia.com that's link with an e you can email me kbcast at linkmedia.com again that's link with an e you'll find me on twitter at strange kate cast and also on facebook facebook.com slash kate bush podcast also, Strange Phenomena now has a Patreon page. To check out exclusives that I'm offering to you guys for your support of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. There you'll find exclusives like access to episodes before they're released and an exclusive subscriber feed called Deeper Understanding where I get to sit down with Kate fans for general Kate Bush chats. This month I'm talking with Sean Toomey, the webmaster of katebushnews.com.
3: But it was very few decent sites around that time most of them were just sort of picture galleries and sort of um Mm. they all had names like under the ivy and um uh, i don't know there was none of them kind of um, there was nothing I wanted to go to a website that was kind of like Homeground Magazine, which I had been subscribing to for years, and uh, I wanted it to be factual, I wanted it to be informative, but I wanted it to kind of respect Kate as just a, a contemporary artist.
4: For more exclusives like this, go to patreon.com slash Kate Bush Podcast and become a subscriber today. Join us for another song episode next week where we're going to get to talk about There Goes a Tenor. See everybody then.